when you make decisions based off of this desperation, they're never going to be good decisions. They're going to be very intense, very short term, very aggressive. And it's like anything else, like we get motivated. And this is like, I'm sure you've been to events before where it's like a two day rah-rah, fire you up, like get your business to 30K, lose 50 pounds, love your wife more, get more orgasms. And then by Tuesday, when you're home from the fucking convention, your kid throws up on your shoe and your husband starts getting into a fight with you over the laundry. And then your boss at work is breaking your balls about something. And all of that motivation that you picked up over that 48 hours of being in that environment is completely gone. It's not practical, it's not applicable, and it's over. So you can't operate off of this idea that I'm gonna be perpetually motivated. Like you have to operate as if you have no motivation to do anything ever, because that's really how I live my life. Like I just, I do things because they need to get done. And I have a triage of things that are in order of importance. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks. Two bitches talk fitness, I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. You just got me and our guest today, who I'll introduce in a second, but I just wanted to give you guys the heads up. As you know, my co-host, Brooke, is a kick-ass coach, a kick-ass pole fitness instructor and dancer, and a kick-ass mama. And she doesn't know I'm recording this intro, but <laughs> one of the things that I super, super love about Brooke and that makes her such a kick-ass person in general is that she knows when she needs to pull back in certain areas and give her attention to other things. And as you know, she's a single mama. It's summertime as we're recording, and that can be hard. <laughs> so that is why you've just got me and our guest today. Our guest is Aram Gregorian, also known as Four Weeks to the Beach on Instagram. Aram, welcome to the show. What's up? We could talk about your post today, actually, about boundaries and rules. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty profound. That really just came from a conversation I had with one of my clients in the UK, and she's been struggling for a while with just the whole process in general. She's just somebody who doesn't have much of a structure. She's not much of a routine. She's very much kind of fly by the seat of her pants, not prepared, winging it, doesn't really pay attention to health markers at all. And she constantly gets into her own head and disappoints herself about what she's capable of, what she should be doing. You know, is she worth the work? And I always find it very interesting when people tell me like, well, I just don't feel like I'm worth doing the work. And I, I, I've never understood that because to me, like I, there's been a period of times where, in my life where I fucking hated myself. And I've hated myself usually as a result of my actions, whether it was like hurting people in relationships or being a fuckhead on the weekends and doing too many drugs. And you're just waking up in this like cycle of remorse. And maybe that's why you hate yourself. So maybe she's waking up in a cycle of remorse. Like I'm drinking too much and I'm not paying attention to it. I'm not eating well and it's making me feel like shit. I'm not moving my body and it hurts all the time. So it's always like this guilt driven cycle due to a lack of positive action. And then the positive action, because it seems so overwhelming, never really takes any shape because after a week of trying it, it's like, well, this is too much. Mm -hmm. 
So I, maybe that's where she's coming from. And it's kind of, and it's what provoked me to write that post and, and kind of take her words of like, that's why kids develop into adults. It's because they're given rules and parameters and like, this is how you're going to live until you're 18. And then once you're 18, fuck off, it's on you. But then we're as adults, we have free reign of everything. We could do whatever we want. And very rarely is that whatever we want going to be productive unless that there's somebody else imposing rules on you. Like your job has to get you in at a certain time. You have certain obligations. You have certain boxes to check. So I do believe that routine and structure is vital for anybody who wants to achieve anything in this world. Mm. Freedom is found in discipline. I mean, it's basically that. Yeah. Well, most of your listeners, I'm sure like mine are parents. And, you know, most of my clients are parents. Like, I can't expect, like, I have no kids, but I have two dogs and I have 65 children. That's how I see it. Like, I have 65 clients. They're my children. They're the people I need to care about and think about. Uh, so, to me, that's my responsibility. But I, that allows me more time to do the things that I need to do for myself because my responsibility mainly is my job. So I don't have the rigors of life like other people do who have kids. And when you have children, obviously, it's more complicated. You can't just be dedicated to, you know, spending five, six days a week at the gym and prepping every single meal and not eating out whatsoever. Like, yeah, your 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 life is not going to stack up the way you envision it to get this body that you keep dreaming of when it's usually just a pipe dream for most people because they're just not willing to do what it's going to take sacrificially. And that's really what it is. It's really sacrificial. It's sometimes just not fucking worth it. Yeah. Oh, that's what we hear from a lot of the people we have on. Like my coach is Ocean Trail and she's like, I got to a point where it just wasn't worth it to me anymore. Part of that came from she had to experience it <laughs> to know how just not worth it it is. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's true. People kill themselves trying to get to this standard that they're just not set up for lifestyle wise, mentally wise, you know, habit structure wise. And, you know, we always say it's okay if you don't want to. And knowing that is fine. Couldn't agree more. I just, I had this conversation with a woman. She filled out like my lead form on my website. She's uh, 52, I believe. She's done multiple competitions. I mean, her body comp is stupid. Like as a 52 year old woman, she's lean, she's muscular. And I'm like, why the fuck are you hiring? Like, I literally asked her that on a phone call. Like, why? Like, what, what, why do you need a coach? She's like, well, I want to see what else I can accomplish. I'm like, well, what do you want to accomplish? I'm like, you're already leaner than most, every 50-year-old woman walking around would love to look like you. Like, you're not, like, overly muscular. You're, like, you're, like perfect muscle tone on you. Everything's built up excellent. Like, you're you're a trainer. Like, you're a coach. This is what you do for a living. What would you need me for? So, I want to push that much harder. I'm like, okay. So, like, you're going to hire me for eight weeks. You're going to recomp a little bit. And then what? What's going to happen after eight weeks? Just to say that you did it? Like you've already stood on stage, you've already gotten the awards, you've already gotten the accolades. Like at this point, it's like it, I, I, I don't know. I'm just my brain isn't wired that way. Like I like to be lifestyle lean all the time. Like I like to behave in a way where my and that's where four weeks to the beach came from. Like the idea of four weeks to the beach isn't that you're going to get ripped in four weeks. It's that you're living on average a way that's going to be conducive to if you wanted to ratchet up your intensity for four weeks, you would look that much better and be a little bit more finely tuned for something that you wanted to show up for, but whether it's a photo shoot or a day or a weekend away with the gals or something like that. Cool. Like good, be sacrificial for four weeks, get yourself to that point where you're feeling really confident and really good, snap some pictures. And now you're going back to a really good average to where you don't completely fall apart. But I think most people don't address lifestyle in that way is they're just, they, 
they let too much time elapse from being relatively fit to then being completely unfit, gaining a bunch of body fat, losing their confidence, losing their mojo. And then all of a sudden it's this desperation play of like, I need to do everything and throw the kitchen sink at this problem. Oh, and by the way, I'm in menopause. It's like, okay, like it's going to be just be fucking 10 times harder now. Like you've, you've, you've neglected this level of self-care now for 20 years in those critical years leading up to menopause. And now it's going to be that much more challenging. And you're asking for results that you wanted to get at 40, but now you're 55. So the, the, the expectation just doesn't match the reality of your life, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it's not to like dissuade people from having aesthetic goals. Cause like, yeah. I'm driven hundred percent by vanity. Like I, like my blood work is relatively good. I'm, I mean, I'm on TRT. So like I monitor everything every four to six months anyway. But like, I'm relatively healthy. I don't think I'm going to die anytime soon. But if I did, like, whatever. Like, I, I can't really think about that. But like, I live in San Diego. I'm surrounded by people who are in decent shape. I go to pool parties and beach parties and house parties where I'm around other 40-year-old men. And I just want to look, literally look better than they do. And I do. It's not that hard because the bar is pretty fucking low. You know, like, yeah, maybe yeah. at the gym that I go to, I'm not the biggest, leanest, most muscular guy there because I'm not a competitor. But compared to your average human being on earth, like it's really not that hard to be in shape. Like go to any fucking airport, go to your Walmart, go to your grocery store and look around at the population. It doesn't take much to be in shape anymore. Like if you're a woman and you're 25% body fat, you're crushing it. If you're a dude and you're 18% body fat, you're crushing it. Like you don't need to get to these, you know, what, what are most women complaining of underarm fat? back fat around the bra area and then belly fat. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Okay, cool. You want to work your ass off to lose that? How are you going to be able to maintain that loss? Like you'll probably be able to get there if you're really dialed in for, you know, let's say eight, 10, 16, 20 weeks. But then there's, you have to have an after plan. Like what is your life going to look like after you just spent 10 weeks or 20 weeks beating the shit out of yourself? You've got this proverbial body that you've always wanted but it's like buying that car you've always wanted, like right, like somebody like keeps working their ass off for twenty years to buy the Maserati, and now when you get in it, you don't even want to drink a cup of coffee in it because you're afraid to fuck it up. And people don't realize that there's a sense of like it's almost like with great power comes great responsibility. Like now you're this powerful, confident person, and any little crack in the foundation is that much more noticeable. Like if I wake up and I'm not lean, I'm disappointed. Like that's not a great place to be mentally. Like I can navigate it because I don't have any emotional response to it. But most women aren't like that. Most women that I coach, if they wake up and they're two pounds heavier, like it's fucking panic mode and all the bells go off and it's just an alarm that sets. And then now they're miserable for the rest of the day. They don't want to leave their house. They don't want to show up for their kids' events. They don't want to go to parties because they don't feel confident. Is it worth it like to live like that? Or can you just get to a place where you're paying attention to your health, you're paying attention to your digestion, your mood, your energy, you're strong, you're capable. You can walk into the machine and use any or the gym and use any machine. You know how to go to parties and navigate around the menu. Like, you know how to go to restaurants and pick what's good for you. Like, that to me is freedom from bullshit. That's so empowering. That's where that that's what I'm trying to build in people. Like, because I, I tell people, like, you're never going to look like me because you're not going to want to do what I do. And you have other things that are going to get in your way that I don't have. Like, I've set my life up to be this way. And I think when people are looking on Instagram and they're looking at an inspiration, they're looking at the wrong people. Like if you're a 40 or a 50 year old woman, don't follow women that are 20 or 30 years old with no kids. Like that's not a, that's not a representation of who you are as a person. Like you're not going to achieve what they achieve because you don't have the time they have to allot to it. 
No, it doesn't mean it's impossible. I have a mother of three who's a widow who's fucking who walked in on her husband literally laying in a pool of his own blood because he shot himself and while his toddler was on the ground next to him. And as part of her recovery, she became a competitor. And now she wakes up at four in the morning and she preps all of her food and then she drives her kids to the school and then she goes to the gym and then she goes to work, then she picks them up and then she comes home, she meal preps for them, she goes to bed at six o'clock and does it all over again. Do you want to live like that? Probably not. So when you look at a body like hers, yeah, sure. Like I, it can be achieved. Anything can be achieved. The human body is, a, is an insanely adaptable, trainable, wonderful machine, but it takes time and it takes a shit ton of effort that I don't think people understand how much it really actually takes. That's what kills me about the whole, I'm afraid to lift because I'm just going to get bulky conversation. It's like, well, I mean, if you do everything absolutely perfectly right for 20 years, yeah, sure. I but mean, even then, like I'm, a, <laughs> yeah. I'm on 600 milligrams of testosterone right now, which is essentially pretty close to a bodybuilding dose, if not at it. I, my weight has not fluctuated in two weeks. It's been 209 flat. I'm eating mm-hmm. 3,500 calories a day. I lift five to six times a week to failure on every set and every rep. I'm on growth hormone. And I'm not growing. So I'm sorry. 15-pound dumbbells in your basement ain't doing shit. They're just not like, and if you believe that they are, you've been sold bullshit. You've been going to too many classes where they just run you through these cardio gauntlets. They get you feeling sweaty. They get you feeling accomplished. Like you did something because you just got your heart rate up over 180. You got a couple of splat points or whatever else they're giving out these days, but you haven't actually done anything to influence strength, muscle size, or even just human movement because most people don't even know what they're doing at the gym and why. I have a woman that came to me recently from another program. They didn't teach her how to do anything. I sent her a program and she's like, is this the program? I said, yeah. She said, oh, I was expecting something more like app-based because I usually just send my, like the same way I make the text files, the text boxes and Instagram, that's, that's how I just send my workouts out to clients. And it's just like, here's your workout. If you need video backup, I'll send you video backup. And she got it and she looked at it like it was hieroglyphics. She didn't know what a chest fly was. She didn't know what a row was. She didn't know what a lunge was. Nothing. She was so fucking dependent on this app telling her what to do that she never gained any autonomy. So what's the point? So you're paying for all this AI, you're paying for all these coaches that don't actually ever talk to you. And then at the end of your six or 12 or whatever months, yeah, you've lost some weight, but now you have no idea how to navigate the landscape on your own. And that's what drives me absolutely insane about the coaching industry. It's what drives me absolutely insane about the wellness industry as a whole. Like we're not empowering people to be independent. We're actually making them more reliant on us. Like, I, I mean, I try to not do that, but at the end of the day, like, I also, I'm, I'm also going to make people think a little bit. Like, if you send me a series of questions, like the other day I had a woman text me and she's like, it's my birthday next week. We're going out to eat. This is the menu, blah, blah, blah. What do you think I should do? I'm like, what do you should, what do you think you should do? Like, you know what I'm going to tell you? Why are you asking me? And then the answer came out. I just needed validation that what I was going to do was right. But most of the time, people just want to be validated. They want to know that what they're doing is right because there really is no right or wrong. Let's be honest. I mean, it's nutrition and training. It's very bio-individual. So the way that you respond to training and the way that I respond to training and food is going to be distinctly different. You and I can eat and train the same exact way and we will have two distinctly different responses. That'll happen with two women who are at the same weight, same age, same height, everything. It'll still be two different responses. So there is no one size fits all. There is no right or wrong way. The wrong way is, is the way that's essentially going to damage you mentally and physically. Like there is a wrong way. The wrong way is obsessing about the process, obsessing about food, obsessing about the scale, putting a timeline on things. That's the wrong way. There is no right way. The right way is whatever the fuck works for you. 
Yeah. I get questions all the time. Like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And I'll, it's like, here's the deal. I don't care what you do. It makes no difference to me. I just want you to know why you're doing it. Yes. What's the intention? Yeah. And it depends. And does it feel sustainable for you? And does it like under the giant umbrella of how this works? Is it the right one for you? Every time I do a Q&A on Instagram, almost all my answers start with a question back. Like somebody Always. asked me about a plateau. I was like, well, is it a plateau or are you being impatient? <laughs> what was the other one? I'm, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. But it's like, yeah, I'm questioning your questions because I want you, first of all, to think about this. And second of all, there is no one size fits all for anything under the giant umbrella of how it works. I think there's a best practices. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a here's your goal, here's your subset of actions that will get you to that goal in the most efficient way possible. Mm-hmm. Like my belief system is very much bodybuilding biased. Like if body comp is the goal, like I want to lower body fat, increase muscle mass, look at the people who are doing it to the best of their ability, right? Like the best people at body comp are bodybuilders. They're not powerlifters. They're not crossfitters. They're not group fitness people. They're not Olympic weightlifting athletes. They're not even athletes in general. The best body comp in the world, people who are perfecting it are bodybuilders. They know how to eat to match their training and they know how to train to enhance their physique. So why not look and adopt their habits and their behaviors and their methodologies? Now, obviously, you're not going to do it to the extent that they're doing it because they're competitive in nature. But that doesn't mean that you can't dumb down their methods and extrapolate some of their good ideas and and apply them to your average person. Like, what are they doing? Bodybuilders are prepared for any situation food-wise. They have their scheduled training. They train in a way to stimulate muscle. They don't give a shit about strength. They don't give a shit about being crazy in the gym. They just want to focus on mind-muscle connection and contraction. They use cardio sparingly to be able to burn off excess energy if needed. They walk a ton. They sleep well. They recover. And they keep stress down. How is that not applicable to your average Mr. and Mrs. Jones? Just do the same thing that they do, like to some degree. It doesn't have to be to the lengths that they do it. It's literally that simple. And it's it's almost so simple, it sucks to hear. You know, it's like, well, why the fuck isn't there a secret? Yeah, it'd be easier if there was. <laughs> Ozempic. It works. It does work. It works. But listen, I'm, a, I'm, I'm somebody who's on three different compounds right now. What am I going to say to somebody who wants the quick fix? You know what I mean? Like, I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth. I think there's a reason... Pharmacology, if used responsibly, is extremely helpful, but it could also be like anything else, right? Do too much cocaine, you're going to have a problem. Do enough cocaine, you're going to have a great night. Drink too much (laughs) alcohol, you're going to have a problem. Drink enough alcohol, you're going to have a great night. So people just don't understand how to dose things or how, how to exit out of things properly. Like for me, I have a dosing protocol that I plan to increase and then I plan to decrease and then normalize. People get on Ozempic for very wrong reasons, which typically is I have exhausted all the options, which they haven't. Because if you're getting on Ozempic prior to tracking your food, you're doing it wrong. And if you're getting on Ozempic to lose those last five pounds, you're going to lose those last five pounds. You're going to put out in 15 as soon as the drug is out of your system because it's a GLP-1 agonist. It's going to regulate your hunger. It's going to regulate how fast your stomach empties. You're going to have all sorts of digestive issues. It will work. I I currently have two people on it right now, and it's working beautifully. What's the aftermath? Are you willing to pay the cost? Because it's going to fuck you up at some point down the line. Like There are ramifications to all these things. Drugs do not come without side effects to some extent. There has to be something. But I think like we're using it for the wrong reasons. And now the people that need the drug aren't getting the drug because supply is down because this cost is getting ridiculous on it. 
but that's that's a separate tangent altogether but i do i do think that like there's value to these things i think anything with the right intention is absolutely fine if you can justify what you're doing to me in a way that makes sense to me i have no problem with it whatsoever i want to use ozempic because i've done this and i really have done everything right for the last six months and nothing has worked and this is just going to fire me up emotionally mentally spiritually physically and it's going to get me to comply better and i'm going to have better energy and a better mood and a better relationship with this process by all means go right ahead go right ahead like who am i to take that away from you as a person i'll warn you of the effects i'll warn you of the aftermath and i'll do my due diligence to be able to educate you and empower you with enough information for you to make the educated choice but i'm not going to pull away i'm not going to pull away that opportunity from you to be happy because that's not my place my place is to be whatever i can be to help you be happy you know, like sometimes as unfortunately as coaches, we have to be customer service representatives. Like at the end of the day, it's it's client experience to me that matters more than anything. The reality is, is most people won't get the results they want. But if they're happy with the relationship and they're happy with the process, we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to somebody the other day who's been like following the, I jokingly call them the Syed principles because that's where I learned them all from Jordan for like eight months now. and. She decided to go into maintenance and not in a deficit because she's like, I, I've just done this yo-yo for so long. I just need to learn how to, which props to her, go you. I think a lot of people would be a lot better off if they started there. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, she has made some body composition changes, some because she's been lifting and actually at an intentional point of maintenance, hasn't lost any fat, but is a completely different person. And what's wrong with that? All like you've said, all the aesthetic stuff is good, but I mean, there has to be more to it than that. It's a shitty thing. It's a shitty way to say it, but I think aesthetics are earned. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously, I got into this because of aesthetics when I was 15 years old because I was I was trying to get attention from girls in high school. Like, I I was pear shaped. I was weak. I was an immigrant in a very new place with weird smelling Russian deli meats, and I was getting made fun of all the time. So, what did I do? I looked at the football guys. In high school, and I'm like, these guys are all jacked. They have girlfriends. They're cool. I want to be like them. So I started lifting with the football team, and I eventually started playing football. So it came from, a, like, we all start these things from a place of insecurity. Any bodybuilder that you see out there who's fucking lean, chicks, guys, respectively, they're all little tiny people emotionally. I know that because I, I interact with them all the time. They're scared. There's a guy at my gym who looks at me every time I walk in, like I'm three times his size. He's 6'5", 300 pounds, and he's 4% body fat. This guy is enormous. He can literally pick me up and eat me in one bite. And he looks at me like I'm like I tower over him. He starts to like put his chin down when I walk by him. And it's because I carry myself in a way that I don't give a fuck about anybody else in the room. Because at 40, I've gone through my insecurities. I've gone through my discomforts. I've gone through my issues but i've also dealt with it by using therapy as a tool and meditating and journaling and reading and, and listening and talking most of these people that are in these aesthetic sports haven't done that stuff and they lean into the aesthetic sport to escape their mental bullshit but they never actually resolve the mental issues that are underlying underneath so i don't care mrs jones if you lose 40 pounds and you get the body of your dreams you're still going to be a miserable bitch because you've never actually dealt with your problems so deal with the mental health stuff first. And I bet that opens up a runway of opportunity for you to deal with the physical stuff a lot easier. And then compliance will be better because it's going to be coming from a place of love and gratitude as, a, as opposed to self-hatred. 
Like, I hate the way I look and feel. Cool. That's not going to be a good enough reason for you to keep doing this because you're going to keep falling back into the cycle of not liking yourself. But if you can accept where you are as a person, you can really be fulfilled and grateful for all the stuff you do have. Stop focusing on all the stuff you don't have. You're going to want to do this stuff as a from a longevity standpoint as opposed to just this need for aesthetics that you really don't even have the right to earn yet. Mm-hmm. Ask the, is that a lizard or a snake behind you? A uh, snake. He's a little king snake. I'm terrified of snakes. That's why I tattooed them <laughs> on myself. I held I held a snake a couple of months ago. It was surreal. I never actually held a snake. I conquered my fear. I was at a nice. party and there was just like a snake handler there. And he's like, you look really nervous. I'm like, yeah, I fucking hate snakes. He's like, do you want to hold him? I'm like, I thought they were androgynous. I didn't think they actually had sexes. He's like, no, it's a him. I'm like, okay, let me touch they. And I had the thing like wrapped around my arm and it was like slithering up my neck. And I was like, Jesus, this is it. This is how I die. The one time this thing was violent, it's going to be on the day that I pick it up. And uh, it was cool. Like I overcame my fear. I touched it. I had it like crawl all over me and I was loving it. I was like hanging out with it for 30 minutes. Nice. What a, what a perfect segue into doing hard shit. Right. I, well, I was just going to mention this uh, This little piece of art behind me is Knife's Edge Katahdin up in Maine. It's the top end of the Appalachian Trail. It's like about 5,000 feet summit with Beth Farako and a handful of other people, Matt Lar. Oh, nice. And Ryan Kasim. Ryan lives in San Diego. We see Ryan. I see Ryan all the time now. Love Ryan. He's coming on in a couple of weeks, actually. We just worked out on Saturday. Awesome. He's my well, favorite. Well, next time you see him, tell him I say, hey. <laughs> I will. He's great. We love him. Um, he was in the crew too, but we we summited that last year. Hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I was actually laughing and I was like, I can't believe I actually want to do it again now. <laughs> But it scared the living shit out of me. And half the time on the way up, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm going to have to call the $5,000 chopper to come get me. <laughs> is that what it is? But Yeah, something like that. Oh, my the God. The rescue. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a good incentive not to call. Yeah. I don't have that to throw <laughs> around. So I'm like, well, what's the other option here? Just, get to the top. Yep. And back down. <laughs> and give that's... up or don't. I mean, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And if I do have the chance to do it again, that's going to be another experience that I can draw on and like the hardest thing I've ever done. And then even now I can think about it and think, I mean, I can do anything. I can do anything. And that people are so afraid to get outside their comfort zone just for a little bit, just to like even dip a toe. And it kills me because on the other side of it, it's like you will feel so powerful. You will feel like you can actually crush the world. And so many people, I mean, you can tell in the way like they carry themselves and they talk and they act and like you can tell when they don't feel that. And it's sad because it's like if you're in your 40s and you have kids, right, Like especially if you have children, you owe it to your children to be the strongest motherfucker in the room. You do because your kids are learning from you. They're taking examples from you. Like I was so fortunate my mother's four foot 11. She's riddled with like 97 different diseases that are all chronic disorders that she's just fought through like an animal and a champ with no problems. Never cried, never bitched, never complained about being tired. Just a tough little lady. And I got to grow up with her as my role model. Like I, I, I'm like, this bitch can move mountains. What can I, why, why can't I not do anything? What am I crying over a girlfriend for? Why am I crying? Because I lost my job. Like she just, she's she's walking around with type two diabetes and thyroid cancer and breast cancer. And she just kicks all of it in the nuts every single day. And I and I'm bitching because I had a bad day at work. It gets perspective. Like until until the ability to really live your life gets taken away from you, you don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 
And I live every single day of my life knowing that tomorrow it could be taken from me. My business can crumble today. My relationships with the people I love can crumble tomorrow. A storm can come hit the southern part of California and wipe us all out. So I live my life every day knowing that if the lights go out today, I'm proud of everything I did the hours beforehand. And so many people are squandering minute after minute, waiting, wondering, watching everybody else live their lives. And it's like, folks, we're not asking you to move mountains here, but just make a fucking decision and be firm on that decision. Draw a line in the sand around yourself and the noise and the garbage that you're seeing. Get the fuck off of this thing if it's not helping you. Like, put your fucking phone down for five minutes a day. Look up. Pick your chin up. Go on walks with your kids. Teach your kids how to portion out food properly. Teach them the difference between what a meal out is and what a meal at home looks like. Teach them what it's like and the value of actually being able to dig their hands in the sand and be able to actually be out there and play and do things outside like normal human kids as opposed to sticking their face into a device just to get them away from you. Like my podcast partner, Jimmy, is probably one of the best dads I've ever met. I wish he was my father. My father wasn't really around to do dad shit. I mean, he was there, but he was essentially just kind of there. He provided, he put money, he put money on the table and he kept the lights on. So I'm forever grateful that he was able to give me that. But everything I learned, I learned from my mother. I learned on my own. But if you're a parent and you're and you're still dealing with unresolved mommy and daddy issues, and, and like my parents didn't hug me enough when I was 12, and now I have a problem and I'm 40, hire a fucking therapist. Stop worrying about losing weight. Stop worrying about getting on a diet or doing hit cardio. Like get a fucking cognitive behavioral therapist and spend the next six months unpacking your bullshit so you don't fuck your kids up. Like I talked about that on Best Podcast. It drives me absolutely crazy when, when 40, 50-year-olds are walking around with unresolved issues. That's the biggest problem we have in our industry. It's not health. Obesity is a byproduct of mental health illness. That's really what it is. Like I, I don't know if you watched the movie The Whale. No. If you've seen that, you, you should. I, I, I would like to, but I haven't yet. It's a tough watch. It's a very tough watch, but it's a very eye-opening watch. And it's so simple in what its message is. It's not that this guy got fat because he didn't give a shit about life, or it's not that he got fat because he was just an asshole. He got fat because he just used food as a coping mechanism. He was sad. He was broken on the inside, and he never dealt with his problems. And his problems got so big that the only way out that he felt that he could do was to kill himself slowly, unconsciously. And that's what so many of us are doing with either media or drugs or sex or booze or food. All of these things that provide these momentary dopamine hits for us to just numb out and forget about the problems that we have in front of us. Like you have to deal with your problems and your problems are not going to go anywhere. They're just going to get hidden underneath bullshit. And then at one point you're, you're going to lift your head up and realize I'm 60 and I still have problems. And now I've wasted 60 years of potential happiness and you could even look at it in a different way like maybe you didn't waste it maybe it was a 60-year learning experience to then buy back the next 30 years that's what i think about it is like whether it was a bad relationship or a shitty job that you didn't like or a failed dieting attempt everything that we do that didn't serve us is a learning experience on how to not do that again is how to get a little bit better the next time you know like I ran an event this year. I lost $30,000 on it. I'm running it again. I'm hopefully going to not lose $30,000 on it. Everything is a learning experience, right? Like I've dieted in the past. I destroyed my endocrine system. Now I do it much more intelligently. I know that if I eat processed foods and if I eat out too much, I have shitty digestive systems. So I don't do that anymore. Like, like be cognitively aware and attached to yourself enough to like actually pay attention. Like stop going through life on autopilot and then 
waking up one day when it's just it's it's, it's going to all be and then be too much because you're just so overwhelmed by your disappointments as opposed to actually being like cool i am the captain of the ship i do have control over all of this stuff and sometimes i don't have control over stuff but i do have control over how i respond to it mm-hmm. i remember a post you did a few weeks ago now you were when people say they don't want to have to think about it oh, God. and we were on the same page with that one too <laughs> you and i are always on the same page <laughs> That is also earned, like the aesthetics are earned. I think the right to be in a calorie deficit and to bulk are earned because different levels of hard, different things come with it that you have to be okay with and know how to navigate through. And also intuitive, I call informed eating, that's also earned. Yeah. You don't just flip a switch and it happens. Not in this food environment. No. Maybe if you were living in like the the woods of fucking Pennsylvania around nothing but like Amish people who would just grow their own food, sure, you'll be fine. You're not going to be eating mm-hmm. McDonald's three times a day. But in our food environment, there is no such thing as intuitive eating. Because intuitively, if I wanted to, I would eat nothing but Kit Kats and Cheetos all day long. That, that, that's what I intuitively want to eat. Like I don't reach for salmon because I love it. Like I, I reach for five guys because I love it, but I also know how it makes me feel. It's it's all, but it's all like a learning process. It's like I start mm-hmm. here and then I get progressively incrementally better at it. And then I layer this in and then I layer this in and then I just layer and layer and layer. I mean, that's what, I mean, isn't that what James Clear, Atomic Habits constantly talks about? It's just like the habit stacking thing, which I really have to actually sit down and read that book. I, that's the one thing I'm really bad at. Like, I just, I don't, I'm very informed and I extrapolate a lot of things, but I'm not very well read. Mm-hmm. It sounds I like I actually haven't read that one either. <laughs> I've recommended it to every single client and most of my clients have read it, mm. but like I'm living it. So like, what's, what am I going to get out of reading it? Like I'm re I'm <laughs> living atomic habits. Like I have bulletproof things that I have non-negotiables around. Mm. When you make decisions based off of this desperation, they're never going to be good decisions. They're going to be very intense, very short term, very aggressive. And it's like anything else. Like we get motivated. And this is like, I'm sure you've been to events before where it's like a two day rah, rah, fire you up, like get your business to 30 K lose 50 pounds, love your wife more, get more orgasms. And then by Tuesday, when you're home from the fucking convention, your kid throws up on your shoe and your husband starts getting into a fight with you over the laundry. And then your boss at work is breaking your balls about something. And all of that motivation that you picked up over that 48 hours of being in that environment is completely gone it's not practical, it's not applicable, and it's over. So you can't operate off of this idea that I'm going to be perpetually motivated. Like you have to operate as if you have no motivation to do anything ever, because that's really how I live my life. Like I just, I do things because they need to get done. And I have a triage of things that are in order of importance. That's it. Who comes first? My clients do. They pay me, they keep a roof over my head. So they come first, then I come second. And that's okay. So I'm going to say something that's going to piss off a lot of parents, but your kids don't come first. They don't. I'm sorry. At a certain age, they don't come first anymore. If they can put clothes on themselves and they can put their lunch in their lunchbox on their own, you should not be doing that for them. Sorry that I'm rewiring the parenting model, but that's really (laughs) like, that's how I was raised. If you can put your clothes on, on your own without me having to intervene, and if you can get food into a box to bring it to with you to school, or you can put money in your pocket that I'm going to give you to go buy your lunch. I don't need to be hovering around you, making sure everything's okay. So I need to take care of myself as a mother, as a father, so I can show up better for my family, my job, the people around me. 
And I think mothers always fall apart on this because they're just giving, 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 and then they're never, never taking anything for themselves. And then they wake up at 50 wondering where the fuck 20 years of their life went. What you're doing is you're creating the same way that if a, if a coach or a trainer just keeps feeding you all the answers, you never learn any critical thinking skills for yourself. If you keep giving all your shit to your kids, they're never going to be able to grow up and be productive adults. I mean, we're seeing it already at a, at a systemic level. I mean, like I am so terrified of what this world is going to look like in 20 years when these kids right now are going to grow up to be people that are running companies and countries. And it's like, oh, my sweet God. I'm going, to, I'm going to move to the most remote place with no people around me to insulate myself from that issue because it's going to get really bad because it's so codependent. It's sad, but that's on their parent. That's on the individual who's raising these kids. Like you have, like Jimmy gave an example once about teaching his kid how to swim. And uh, basically like all the parents at the party were like, how is your kid such a good swimmer? And he's like four years old. He's like, cause I spent time teaching him how to swim. He's like, well, how'd you do it? So, well, at these parties that you're all at, instead of me sitting around drinking and shooting the shit with you, I spent most of my time in the pool with him to make sure he was okay and could swim with the other kids. So I sacrificed my immediate pleasure and happiness for him so that he can be independent. And I don't have to do this in three years because your kids are nine now and they still can't swim. But he's eight and he's running laps around them underwater because I taught him how to swim at the beginning and I bought myself freedom on the back end. So delayed gratification is the message here. It's do the hard shit now to make life easier in the future. Mm -hmm. It's just investment in yourself that you have to be willing to do that is not always comfortable in the beginning. For some people may never be super comfortable. But yeah, it's like you said, we just, there's a huge level of you do shit because you have to, because it's good for you. And that's how you build the motivation because you start seeing the results. It's not that you have to, you know, wait for motivation to come trotting down the hallway because it's not going to half the time. No, there's no, there's no, there's no like parachute that just deploys this like dose of motivation on a regular basis. Like you, yeah. the action that you take every day motivates you because the action produces some type of a result, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, something like I prep my food. I feel really prepared. I'm prepared. I have less anxiety. I have less anxiety. I have less overwhelm. I have a better day. Oh my God, one little decision led to a cascade of positive effects as opposed to I'm going to wake up 20 minutes late and I'm going to rush around and then I'm going to eat whatever the fuck until dinner and then I'm going to overeat everything at dinner. I'm going to wake up disappointed. I'm going to do it all again because I don't feel good. It's amazing how one good decision can lead to a lot of good decisions. How one bad decision can do the same. So that's how people just need to start reframing these things. It's like we're, we're just reteaching people to connect to humanity again. Because we have disruptors all over the place, social media, TV, all of this comparison game and the blame game and all this other stuff. Like you have to just water your own lawn and focus on yourself. Like you don't have control over the rest of the world. You don't have control of politics or finances or economics. Right? Like do the best you can at what you do. Like if you have a job, be the best at it. I don't care what it is. You can be a fucking barista at Starbucks, but be the best one there is. Like if I walk in, like who? Who do I want to come up to at the, at the counter at the coffee shop? The one who's like fired up that I'm there or the one who's miserable that she's working a dead end job? Because the barista that was like, hey, what's up? How are you? How's your day? Is probably going to get a $4 tip for me after the end of my coffee order. Whereas like the one who's being a miserable twat, I'm going to want to avoid every single time I walk in there because she's like, well, what's the next thing for me? Because I don't deserve to be here. It's like the self sense of entitlement. Like I... I was making $160,000 a year as a 25-year-old kid, and then I got laid off, and I was rolling up towels at Equinox Gym for eight bucks an hour. 
most people would not handle that fall from grace with with what I was able to do it with, which was I don't have another fucking choice. If I want to be a trainer, I have to start at the bottom. This is how it works. So I don't resonate with the $160,000 person that I was anymore because that's gone. That's history, right? So if you're Mrs. Jones and you're listening and you're 48, stop thinking about what your body looked like at 22. Prior to three kids, all the time in the world, no job, no husband, all the available time for you to just train and eat and do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. That's not your life now. So do you foresee that you can do the same shit you did back then to get that same physique? Because probably not. And even if you can, the body has physically changed. It's a different person than it was 20 years ago. Chemicals have changed. The microbiome in your stomach has changed. Your emotions have changed. Your physical capabilities have changed. So do the best you can today with what you have. Don't worry about this historical version of yourself that's never coming back. Yeah, that kills me when I hear that. I'm a young woman. I don't have kids yet. I have a relatively, you know, freer schedule than the average person. I work from home. I can set my hours. I can do this stuff. That's just the way my life is set up. Intentionally though, right? Like that's that's how you set it up. Like I choose not yeah. to have children. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like kids. I don't want kids. Kudos to you that you have them. That's great. But like I just it's just not something I want. But if you made the choice, because this is what bothers me, it's that like you can't make choices and then, and then expect people to feel bad for you because of your choices or use them as an excuse. But this was happening during COVID and I was having blowout fights with friends of mine that were nurses. Like, well, you don't understand what it's like. I'm like, I understand what it's like. I can conceptualize how much your job sucks right now, but you chose to be a nurse. You're not doing charity work. Like you're getting paid handsomely for what you do. Can you be getting paid better? because it's a time of crisis. And do I think that you guys earn more money now? Absolutely. But I'm not in control of that. So you can either be a miserable fuck about it, or you can look at it as I'm walking into the ER every single day, able to save lives. And maybe I'm under some constraints because the government hasn't set us up properly to do our jobs better. But to complain about it and to say that like, my life sucks, well, then get another job. Quit the thing that you don't like and go do something else. Well, you don't. I don't have that luxury. Yeah, you do. It's going to suck. I was making $4,000 a week in cash when I was a trainer in Connecticut before I moved to California. But I made the decision to move to California and be broke for six months. Nobody forced me into that decision. So I don't get to come to California and then cry about the fact that I'm not making the same amount of money that I did. That's the choice that I made. So that's on my shoulders. So I don't get to be like, today sucks. My life is awful because I made the decision to move when I was making a very handsome income. Like, we have to take responsibility for our actions. I'm so tired of this idea that like, well, this is how it is and this sucks. And yeah, you chose to have kids and then you chose to go to these events and you chose to go out on every weekend and you chose to say yes to everything that came at you. And then you chose to say stay in an unsupportive marriage. These are your fucking problems. So why, why is it all of a sudden everybody else's issue? You don't get to make decisions and then also complain about them in the same breath. It doesn't work like that. That's not how life works. You get to make decisions and stand firmly by them. If you fucked up, admit that you fucked up. Maybe I wasn't cut out to be a mother. Maybe I wanted more time and more freedom back. Maybe I should have thought about that before choosing to have children. Or maybe I should have parented my children to be more autonomous. Or maybe I should have asked my husband for more help. Or maybe I should have said no to more friends that sucked the life out of me. A lot of different options exist here, but we, we only see it with the easy way out because the path of least resistance is what human beings want to do. They don't want to take that harder road because the harder road is like, oh, shit, that's going to be more work. 
but the harder road typically is the one that gets you there faster. Mm -hmm. What you just said was what I talk about all the time is helping consistency. You know, if someone chooses to be in a calorie deficit is accept that it's your choice to do it. Yeah. Get in and get out, get in and get like, I, I, don't yeah. do a calorie deficit. Like, of course, a calorie deficit sucks when you're in it for 30 weeks because mm -hmm. you're really not in a deficit. Let's be honest. Like if you're dieting for 30 weeks, you're not really dieting. You're probably dieting for three days and then you're it's chaos for four days. Like you're you're net in a surplus probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people, like, yeah. if you diet, diet hard for six or eight weeks. Like give it every ounce of your effort. Don't go out to eat. Don't order out. Delete every food app you have on your phone. Become a hermit for eight weeks. And see what you can squeeze out of that process. See what you're capable of physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. How good can I be at this really hard thing that I could then exit out of gracefully and know that I either learned a lesson or got an achievement and I can move on to the next thing, into the next phase, into that periodized way of living my life. As opposed to, I'm just going to throw my hands up and do things willy-nilly, not measure outcomes, not quantify anything, not know what's happening, not have any awareness of what's going on, and then say, well, dieting doesn't work. It would work if you worked it properly, but you're not actually dieting. Right. You're starving yourself for three days, and then you're eating whatever the fuck you want from Thursday to Sunday. And then you're having to diet yourself on Monday through Wednesday again, and then you're sick of the diet on Thursday. So you start all over again with that evil cycle, as opposed to just moderating your behavior. Like the post I had two days ago was, don't eat less, eat better. Most people don't need to eat that much less. Like, I don't know too many people that can eat as much food as I can. Yeah, but it's disgusting. Like you put like a half a joint in my mouth on a Saturday night and, and give me three delivery apps on my phone and I will I will show you what calorie consumption looks like. I could easily put down 65, 700,000 calories in one sitting. And I'm sure there's not many women out there that are doing what I do, even if they're binging on ice cream at night, late at night when nobody's looking. Because I can, I pro I'll eat the ice cream and the burger and the chips and the fries and the bag of popcorners and the Stacy's pita chips and order crumble cookies. I could do that. So unless you're doing that, you're not putting on fat from a couple of bad decisions a week. You're putting on fat slowly over time because you're making multiple bad decisions over multiple weeks and multiple months. It's not that they're bad decisions. It's that they're not, they're unquantified decisions. It's I don't really actually know how many calories I'm eating because I don't believe in calories because I think it's insulin resistance or it's my hormones or it's my gut health that's preventing my fat loss. Like, no, calories are real. It's a unit of measure that's very accurate relatively accurate and we can control how many calories we consume but we can't control how many calories we burn so don't worry about it worry about how much you're putting in like actually like spend some time getting some awareness because you would be surprised i mean there's so much data now that shows us that humans chronically overestimate how many calories they burn during exercise and they grossly underestimate how much they eat like it, it's irrefutable like and mike dole i don't know if you know who he is but used to uh you know, stronger you. He put up a post the other day. He's like, if calories weren't real, then why are so many people in impoverished countries starving and skinny? And why can't middle American 48-year-old females who are in a calorie deficit not lose weight? Because you're not in a fucking calorie deficit. Yeah. Like very small subset of the hormonally compromised population mm -hmm. can be susceptible some some type of fat loss resistance. But if you think about what fat is in general, it's 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 a storage of energy. So what's the problem? You're not expending enough energy or you're consuming too much energy to then have to be able to not store that anymore. Like if you have enough in storage, you don't need to consume a lot. I know that sucks, 
but that's the reality of the situation. If you've gained 20 pounds of fat, that means you have 20 pounds of fat extra that's going to be there for if you need it. It's a safety mechanism for humanity to stay alive during the shittiest of times. Unfortunately, the times have gotten easier. So now we, we don't need all that fat, but yet it's it's we're in an environment now where we can just keep accumulating it because it's easier to get calorie-dense foods at super low convenient prices. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it comes down to is that like we didn't have refrigerators a thousand years ago. We didn't have, we had only ability to travel was on foot. So you walked everywhere. You spent literally days and days on your feet without sitting, like grazing for food, trying to find your next meal. Like we don't have that problem now. So it's like, unfortunately, like we're, we're, our body thinks it's like fucking prehistoric times with dinosaurs, but our, our brain hasn't conceptualized the fact that we're sedentary. We've gotten lazier because we're just used to convenience now. And it's way easier to consume calorie dense food that's pretty nutrient poor. So that's the environment that we're living in. It's not conducive to intuitive eating. It's not conducive to just winging it. It's not conducive to not having a plan. So if you're just winging it, hoping for the best, like good luck. You're not going to do well. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. There's You can't have specific goals that require structure without any structure. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work. I want to make a million bucks, but I still want to work at my $3 an hour an hour job. Okay. It's going to take you 60 years to get there. Mm-hmm. I weigh 140 pounds and I want to lose two pounds a week. Okay. You're going to die then at some point. It's just not going to happen. Like people have such unrealistic and, and who's the, and the problem is, is we're at fault. Not you and I, because we're good coaches, but the bad coaches are at fault. The ones who post the before and after pictures and run these fucking bullshit six week challenges where nothing actually gets done. Mm-hmm. And constantly push the extreme starvation or the extreme low calorie or the high output things to just get that result and then get more people into their coaching system and make more money. They're the ones who are polluting people's ideologies about this stuff and their expectations. Because if more people talked about how hard it was, how long it takes, all the bumps and bruises that you're going to incur on the way through that journey, then people would be much more realistic about the process and we wouldn't have this fuckery that's going on every single day. I mean, I've had a post that said, live like a dog, play, stay away from people you don't like, be excited about every day, get fired up for the couple of meals that are you're eating a day, portion out the same amount of food basically every single time you eat and spend a lot of time outdoors loving things. And chill out. <laughs> and you'll be pretty fucking happy. Yeah. But again, it's just the environment we live in is not ideal. It's just not ideal. And we can't expect it to change. It's only going to get worse. So if it's only going to get worse, the only defense we have against it is what we learn along the way to make ourselves more armed to make the best decisions. So burying your head in the sand, thinking that this isn't going to be a problem is not the way to go. Waiting, 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 waiting is the other problem, right? Everybody's waiting for this perfect time. The stars are going to align. The skies are going to open. It's going to be blue and green grass. And I'm just going to have nothing but focus on nutrition and training. And there will be nothing standing in my way. Nope. Nope. You're going to break your ankle. You're going to pop a tire. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your relationship. Your kid's going to get sick. Something's going to happen. It always does. And if you don't understand how to ebb and flow with the variability of life, you're going to always be disappointed, wondering why this stuff isn't working. It's because you're putting pressure on yourself to do stuff that's unrealistic. Like you're not going to make progress every single week. Your pro- you might progress for you one week may be that you just were able to get into the gym one day, and then progress for you in three weeks from that point might be that you're fucking nailing every single macro and calorie on a daily basis, and you're running like a top. 
but it's going to change every single week and you can't expect this linear progression to occur. It just doesn't. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been lifting weights for 25 years. I don't, I've never felt and looked better than I do now, but it's taken me 25 years to get here. Like yeah. from 15 to 40 and you guys, and, and a lot of these listeners on my podcast on your podcast, people are consuming our media online. They want it in 20 weeks. They want it in 16 weeks. They want it in seven weeks. They, they In three weeks, they're disappointed that shit hasn't changed. It's like you're undoing 25 years of shit behavior. Negative beliefs, mental health problems, body image issues, food relationship problems, all of these issues that need to be unpacked and dealt with. You're, you're trying to ignore that they're not real and you're just trying to just throw scientific principles at it that you don't even fully understand. Like just because fucking some doctor on Instagram with with some MD after his name said that insulin resistance is why you're fat, yeah, he's selling you something. He's probably selling you a weight loss drug that he's able to prescribe that I can't. So unfortunately, I have to do it the old school way, which is fucking the gritty, shitty, learn how to eat properly way. It just takes a lot longer time. It's funny because every once in a while I'll catch a thought in my head where like everybody feels like they're not close enough yet to their goal. Which goes back to what you were saying earlier about like paying attention to who you're actually following and looking to for inspiration. I was thinking that the other day and then I was kind of examining where that came from because I like to poke at my brain and see what falls out sometimes. (laughs) And there are two people I follow on Instagram who have like the body that I like, (laughs) you know, Shannon, the gym nurse and abs by Amy, Amy Williams. I don't know if I know Amy, but you'll have to send me her account. She's great. I realized I was comparing myself to them who are in their 40s, who have been working at this for a long, long time, who have known about training to low RIR way longer than I have. I'm like, okay, I got to check myself here. This comparison makes absolutely zero sense. And Shannon's always done a great job of talking about time horizons, right? So I think her, Mm -hmm. her before and after picture was seven years in the making. Mm-hmm. That's why I love Shannon. I've always respected her as a, as a person and in the work she puts out there is because she's talking about it in a very realistic way. I think what people see if they just sign on to her account yesterday is they see her eating fast food. They see her eating pizza. They see her eating this and this. It's like, well, you didn't see all the work that she did to get here. You didn't see the great amount of muscle mass that she accumulated to build up this caloric reserve that she's now able to have. And she's not eating like that every day. She's showing that it is possible to have a piece of pizza and it is possible to have a sandwich and it is possible to have a couple of cocktails, but that isn't going to be your average behavior. I love Shannon. I think she does a great job. And I think we need more accounts like hers talking about how long this is going to fucking take. And I get it. Like we're fighting for views. We're fighting for likes. We're fighting for business. And there's so many people saying such similar shit that we have to stand out, but do it with integrity. And this is where like why the coaching field has really pissed me off is because there's so many coaches that are just trying to sell. Like selling isn't helpful. Helping is helpful. Like you're going to make money if you keep helping people. But what's going to happen if you keep selling more coaching with no result or no support or no education is you're going to create a generation of people who are going to not believe in coaching and who are still going to be looking for answers because they never got any. I got a woman today that called me that filled out a lead form. And she's like, I was with so-and-so, a very prominent coach in our industry who people really respect. And she's like, I didn't get a fucking answer on any of my forum chick videos. She didn't give me a response on any of my check-ins for three or four days. Okay, because she's running a mill. She's running a shop. And churn and burn, four more people come into her program every single day and one person churns out. She doesn't give a fuck. 
it's about dollars and cents to these people. That's why the Real Coaches Summit was born. That's why I carry I, I carry a lot of pride in education. Like I I believe that coaches need to earn their money the same way that that clients need to earn their fat loss. Spend fucking time in the trenches doing the work and the shit will come. Like money will come as a coach. Fat loss will come as a client, but you got to do the work and you got to spend the uncomfortable amount of time on the front end doing it the right way. And the right way is unfortunately the, the long the long way. Yeah. It's frustrating. Out it there. is. It's frustrating, man. <laughs> but there are reasonable voices out there. There are people that like you and I that are not going to stop our messaging no matter what. Like it gets and, and people don't realize how energetically draining it is to not be heard and to have people not believe you. It's like we're not doing this to to sell you anything. We're telling you the truth. And you're just unwilling to listen to it because it doesn't sound good to you. I don't care that it doesn't sound good to you. It's the truth. The truth very seldom sounds good to anybody. But the truth is the truth. It's not it's it's not going to change in any perspective whatsoever. It's just true. It's is a very difficult and long game. It gets easier over time because you practice it better or more. And you learn about yourself along the way and you establish things and you learn from better people. You surround yourself with better people. You clear out the garbage and the noise. But that comes with experience. That comes with falling on your face 5, 10, 15 times. Yeah. And not throwing up your hands and saying, oh, well, guess I can't do it. Didn't work. You fall on your face. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't work. I tried once and it didn't work. What is that? Um, I have tried nothing and I'm all out of options or something like that. I always love when people tell me they've tried everything. Yeah. Because when you tell me you've tried everything, it means you've done nothing. Because trying is like dipping your toe into the water and being like, yeah, it's cold. I don't like it. I want you to dive in. Like if you if it's a if it's a food intervention or a food change or a nutritional change, do it for 30 days straight before you tell me it doesn't work. And give it like 95% adherence. If it's a training alteration, do it for eight weeks before you tell me it doesn't work. Like I'm so tired of like the the four-day trial. Like, oh, I tried keto and it didn't work. It's like, well, first of all, you didn't do keto, you just did low carb. And then you drank for two out of the four days that you tried it. And you didn't test your blood and you tested your urine, which doesn't actually show you that you're in ketosis. Like there's all these misconceptions and all these half-assed ideas. Well, I fasted for three days. No, you didn't. Like, it's just people are just doing things because they see it's a monkey see, monkey do world that we live in. It's because you see it on Instagram. It seems to be credible. So you try it, but you don't really do it. And then you blame the the thing or the protocol. And all these protocols just start getting bad names. Like I used to be so anti-dieting. I was like, diet suck. Like, don't diet. Like, well, unfortunately, you have to diet to lose weight. If you're fat, you can't eat too much. Like, if you're fat, you don't need to be a reverse diet. I'm sorry. Oh, God. That's a whole thing we could get into. <laughs> no, I mean, I used to be like the biggest proponent of like, everybody needs to reverse diet. And I thought about it like now in my right, in my conscious fucking 40 year old brain. I'm like, why the fuck would I feed you more calories when you're already fat? Like, you don't have a not eating enough problem. You clearly ate enough for a while. You're very much overfed. We need to not overfeed you again. They're called overfeeding studies for a reason. It's just, it's funny. It's it's a very interesting business that we chose, but it, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I wouldn't either. It is, like you said, it's very energetically draining, but you got to learn the the balance of that. And it's also very gratifying. Yeah, I agree. Well, tell us about the Real Coaches Summit. I will be there. So the Real Coaches Summit is not just for coaches. It is for lay people also. There's going to be plenty of lay people coming, but it's it's you're going to have 14 presenters on stage over the course of two days, two people at a time, so you can choose what you want to look at, look and listen on, in on. So let's say, for example, there's somebody talking about the business of fitness versus nutrition, and you want to 
go focus on the nutrition side, you can go into that room instead. It's educational in nature. So I would say that probably 70% of it will be education driven as far as nutrition, training, cardiovascular work. So really like the details on how to deploy certain protocols. And then I would say 30% of it will be more mindset, business oriented to help people understand how to be more present on social media, how to establish business systems within their business if they are coaches. So there's that side of it as well. Um, all meals are included. So it ends up being about six hours worth of happy hours, open bar over three days. So if you get there Sunday, it's in Vegas, March 11th and 12th, but usually people fly in on Sunday and then leave on Wednesday morning. Um, it's very collaborative in nature. Like this isn't like one of those things where like the speaker gets on stage and then they run away and you never see them again for the whole weekend. It's like, no, the speakers are there. They're chilling. They're hanging out with you at lunch. They're hanging out with you at dinner. They're having drinks with you at night. I don't pay any of the speakers. So the speakers are there on their own free will. I give them a hotel room. That's the best that I could ever do. Um, I don't make any money off the event. In fact, I lose money on the event. So this really is to benefit the people that are in those seats. You know, people who people came this year and were blown away. I'm trying to make it better this year by adding the dinner aspect of it, which I didn't have last year. So all your meals will be covered. And for the price of $548, which is what it is up until September 2nd, it's a steal. It's even a steal at the regular price, which would be nine ninety eight. But if you think about just eating four, three meals a day in Vegas for two days, that would cost you five hundred bucks. Um, the hotel room is dirt cheap. It's one hundred nine or one hundred twenty nine a night. So I mean, it's 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 sad that I can't get more people to be like jumping on this opportunity because as of right now, like I think I have like seventy tickets sold, and I'm hoping to get about two fifty. But I think people just don't want to commit to it this far out because it's in March and they go, oh, I have time. It's like, yeah, you do have time, but flights are cheaper now. Tickets are cheaper now. Like you'd save yourself a boatload of money if you just committed to it and just plan for it. As always, if you plan ahead, you'll probably do all right. So it's it's a passion project that will hopefully live on forever. I, I, I really can't absorb too much more of a loss this year. So I'm hoping this year I'm a little bit closer to breaking even on it, but that's also just going to come with more awareness and more support of the event because it is coming from a good place. I just think that other people need to value it the way that the people who have been there value it. Mm -hmm. Pump for Beth to be there. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to be there. As far as I know right now, all of us team BFF coaches are going to be there. So you'll love it. We do have a lot of lay people listeners to the show, but we have a handful of coaches. So yeah. Hey, listen, anything helps. I just want to spread the awareness of it. It's very, I just take a very grassroots approach to most things that I do. Well, thanks so much, Aram, for your time. Four weeks to the beach on Instagram. Are you on? You're not on TikTok, are you? I am. I don't do anything on it. I hate it. Okay. I'm not giving my information to the Chinese. <laughs> I've I've never had one, and I will not not have one. So. I, I just I have no idea how it works. I just reshare stuff on it. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And to everybody else, we will talk to you later, same time, same place. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>